this morning is exciting. I know, I don't know about you guys, but I cannot wait for our borders to open up so we can go back on mission overseas. I know some of you, how many are ready? I'm just, take your mask off if you're ready. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Tempting you to sin <laughs> in this culture. By the way, it's not, the Bi- it's not in the Bible. All right. Here's the deal. We are coming here. We're the called out ones. We are the people gathered. Christians. We're sons and daughters of the living God. We are the church. And as I said in the last couple of weeks, it is important to reiterate the fact that it says in Hebrews 10.25, again, the vision of the church is to meet. The vision of the church is to gather together to spur one another on in good deeds. It says in Hebrews 10.25 that do not neglect meeting together as in the habit of some. And the key phrase in this culture now is in the habit of some. And God has called us to meet, to be together, to spur one another on in good deeds. Zoom can only go so far. It only could actually accomplish so much because the word of God is true and we take our cues from God, not the culture. That good? It's the word, so good. It's refreshing. It's able to correct. It's able to rebuke. It's able to train. It's, uh, it's able to discipline us. It comes alongside us uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit to give us vision, to give us clarity of who God is, to give us an understanding of who he is. How many know that knowledge will puff up? That even though the word of God is so central to our lives, it's powerful to our lives. But the problem is, is that many of us, just human flesh, what happens is we begin to read the word of God and then all of a sudden uh, the word of God becomes God. And that cannot happen. The word of God is meant to, uh, uh, it meant to do a lot of things, but primarily it's meant to, so that we would understand who God is. I was putting Ella to bed last night and we were just talking about the word of God. We we're talking about how powerful it is and what it's able to do. And, and that, that, uh, cause she was talking about sometimes how God answers prayer and doesn't answer prayer. And, and of course these questions always happen right before bedtime. And, uh, <laughs> it's like, how long we got here? Uh, <laughs> reminds me of, uh, of Paul when he preached, uh, in, in, in Acts and he was preaching and the, he's preaching all night long and the guy fell, fell over out the window and he fell down. And, and I, you know, it's, it's comical because I believe Paul just raised him from the dead just for the purpose of, Hey, this guy needs to know more truth. And so he raised him from the dead, pulled him back up and he preached for the rest of the night, pulled an all nighter. So, but anyways, uh, she, she got some questions answered. We didn't pull an all nighter last night, but it is important to teach our kids the word of God, who he is, who God is, and how he, how he, li- how he functions, uh, uh, how we're supposed to live our lives, how we're supposed to find out what our purpose is in this world. The word of God is so important. Well, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue in our series in Acts. It's so important that we go through the book of Acts because we need an upgrade. We need a vision, again, of what the church is. We need a vision of a healthy church. And we had the privilege of going to Daytona Beach and doing our ADS retreat. And we had about, what, 27, 28 students or something like that. And just God has blessed us for the last five years of 20 plus students every year in our school. It's called Antioch Discipleship School, ADS. And it's just an incredible time that we get to devote a year. Of course, it's not the only time that we study and we go deep, but we're giving people tools to study for a lifetime to give them the tools in their hands so that they would know God for forever. And, and it was just, uh, I love the family dynamic. I love the, the, the time spent together and just being together in the same room it was so much fun for the last two days. And one of the things that we studied was uh, in Titus 2. And not many people maybe know that passage, but it begins to talk about what, uh, uh, you know, uh, Paul is actually speaking to a pastor who is in Crete and saying, this is, this is the vision of the church. This is what the church looks like. Because if we're going to make a hel- we're going to make a, an impact in the society, in our, in the nations, we have to have a healthy church. And how do we get a healthy church? We have to have healthy doctrine, healthy teaching. Uh, we have to have truth. 
that would set us free to understand what God has called us to be as a church. That is very important. And so we just went through what an older man looks like, and younger man, an older woman, a younger woman. Uh, there's like, I think only one married couple, if I remember, and only one who has a newborn baby. So a lot of them were like, why are we learning about older women? You know, <laughs> why are we learning about older men? Because it, we want to give a vision of what a healthy church looks like. And a healthy church is multi-generational. And it's very important to have those people. But how many know that uh, just because you're old doesn't mean that you're wise? It doesn't mean that, you, that you've lived a life of a godly life, a life of wisdom. That's not what it means. And just because you're young doesn't mean that you're better. And just because you're old doesn't mean it. And, and, God, and, and Paul was telling Titus, this is the vision of what it looks like to be at each age in the church. And how many of us need vision every day? We need that vision. The reason why we read the word is because we forget so easily. We need something that is objective, truth, black and white, outside of us that we can bring inside of our lives and hide it in our hearts so that when we need it the most, we have it there. And it is very important. That's why we're going through the word this season, going deep into book of Acts. I don't know when it's going to end. I I can't tell you. When we started John, I think we went a whole year, right? One time. So it, it may be that. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But it is so good. I know that the feedback that I've been getting is just that the word has been so nourishing. It feels like, as one said, feels like there's meat on the bones. When I'm eating, it's, it's, it sticks. And it sticks a little longer uh, than maybe in other times. And so it's very good. Now that means that you uh, also have the responsibility to go deep in the word yourself. I'm, I can't, I, I've heard it many times from people that they can't wait till Sunday so they could get filled up again. I feel so sorry for you that if the only time you're hearing the word of God on Sunday for, in this case, 50 minutes, maybe longer, uh, that's not enough out of 168 hours. Uh, and then specifically, you're getting all this bombardment of the culture and the airwaves. The prince of power of this air is controlling that part of the world. And so we need to control this part of the world right here. This is, this is our domain. This is God's domain in the heart, in the soul. It is important. So, uh, <laughs> wow. All right, there we go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. So <laughs> it's, it's all good. You know, we have, we, that's the thing now. Now, we're, now that we're not in John Evans anymore, our cell phones, actually, they work. So anyways, all right, turn. I, I think it's important to have your Bible out. Uh, bring your physical Bible with you. There's, I'm not going to judge you if you brought your electronic Bible. That's totally fine. I've, I do that at times when uh, it's, it is convenient. But just don't be distracted. Don't check your Instagram. Don't text your grandma. She's at church, probably. So, she, <laughs> I don't Maybe not. But just <laughs> don't distract anybody else. All right, so let's get into it. Acts 2, 1 through 12. 1 through 13, I'm sorry. 1 through 13 today. So in chapter 1, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. In chapter 2, he comes, right? In chapter 1, the disciples were equipped with the message of the gospel. We talked about how important it is for us to have the message, to actually know the gospel, to actually really learn how to preach it, to learn how, that if we, if we just go out there and, you know, it's fine to ask, hey, can I pray for you? That's wonderful, but that's not the gospel. We need to learn what the gospel is if we don't know it, and it's chock full of it in the New Testament. And so in chapter two, they were empowered to preach the gospel. How many know that they could not go out of their own strength to preach this message, even though that no matter what age, anybody in any age can speak this message and people can get saved, whether it's on written material, like in my case, I got saved from a track. Uh, which is great, uh, it's, and, 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 but also people have gotten saved through the preaching of the message through TV or through a stadium or through just one-on-one conversation or even church on Sunday morning. But the word of God doesn't return void and doesn't, it, it does matter that the person does have integrity and character who is preaching the word because that does matter, but the message is more powerful than the person. The message is powerful. It is is, is able to save. Chapter one, the disciples were held back. Chapter two, they were sent forth, 
right? They were made to stay put for 10 days by themselves together as 120 to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And then chapter one, Jesus ascended into heaven. And in chapter two, the Holy Spirit descends. And that is what this whole chapter is going to be about. All right, so John 7, 37 to 39 says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, this is Jesus speaking, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So in this passage, you're seeing that Jesus is talking about during his ministry that there's going to be this one who to come through the Holy Spirit. We worship not three gods. We worship one God and three distinct persons. Father God, may the love of the Father, it says in Second Thessalonians, uh, sorry, Second Corinthians 13, 14, says, may the love of the Father be with you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That is a great blessing. You should bless your neighbors with that. You should bless the, your household with that. You should, that should be your greetings or, or your ending. You know, like it's just, <laughs> it's going to be a little long other than hi, but it is, it's a nice, nice thing to, I want that. I want those three things. I want the love of God. I want the grace of Jesus every day. And I certainly want the Holy Spirit and his fellowship, his friendship, his guidance. So it is important to know the reason why I like the ESV or the NESB, just FYI, the reason why I like these translations is because they capitalize the pronouns of God. And how many times have I gone back in my text messages to correct he now, thankful, I think Apple is catching on. Uh, that they understand how I like a capital he in it. And uh, sometimes if I'm talking about someone who's not God as a boy or a man, I have to go back and correct it. So <laughs> Apple's utterly confused right now of <laughs> who's in operation of their device. So, but it is important. And the reason is, is because it is respect. We're honoring God even in our writing. And it is important too as a, as a way to learn it's, a, it's important as a way to learn who God is in the passage. Because how many times have you noticed, well, he, who is he talking to? It's very clear. The translators in the Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, they were very clear who God was. And that is very helpful in your study, by the way. It's really good. All right. I'll tell you, long intros. Just get used to it. It's just the way it goes. I, I like to build my way into the passage. I think it's important. All right. So the coming Holy Spirit marked the birth of the church. This was the church, but understand the Old Testament saints knew that it was a mystery. They, it was, it, they did not know that the church was coming, okay? And it is, very, it is not a very good hermeneutic to just assume that Israel is the church, okay? Now, the Old Testament people, they got saved believing that there was one to come. His name was Jesus, a savior. They didn't probably know, they didn't know his name, Jesus, but the Christ, that Christ is not his last name. Christ means the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Messiah to come. They were believing in the one to come. They were looking forward to the cross, and that's what saved them. So Moses will be in heaven, along with Noah and all the heroes of the faith. But they all got there, not because they believed in Jesus, but they believed in the Savior to come. And everybody after Jesus is looking back at the cross and saying, hey, there was... So if you look at a timeline, cross being at the center... And 2,000 years ago, there was this cross. And even before that, 4,000 years, they're looking at the cross saying, Jesus is coming. And everybody now, all including us, is looking back and saying, that was, that was a historical event, really, that saved us through the cross. And then we're also get the privilege of looking forward to Jesus coming back. Isn't that awesome? Timeline of church history. Just kidding. There's a lot of in-betweens there. <laughs> Lots going on in between those, those timelines. But that's the gist of it. It's very important to know that, uh, but they didn't understand the church in the mystery of the church. And so Ephesians 3, 3 to 10 says that by revelation, there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief by referring to this. When you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, which I just said, as it is, it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the only way 
that we can all be in is through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power, to me, the very least of all saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which is for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known through the church, through us now, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So the church are the called out ones. And so I said, Ecclesia, it's the called out ones. It's the bride of Christ. You'll read your Bible. The church is referred to the bride of Christ. We need different terms to understand who we are, right? Otherwise it'll get mundane, we'll forget so that's why Jesus has lots of different names. In fact, Rose of Sharon, as you read here, is thought to be a name of Jesus. And Song of, Sol- Song of Solomon 2.1, Rose of Sharon, which actually is not a rose, by the way, it's a tulip, but that's besides the point. But the, uh, the, that in, in this dry desert, in Isaiah 35.1, in this dry desert, this beautiful flower will pop up, meaning that in the dryness of your life, Jesus will come and beautify your life, save your life. It's kind of a symbolic illustration of who Jesus is. And of course, they, some say that the lily is the church of God, which anyways, all those little things. But that's why sometimes it's important to know what you're singing. Not sometimes, it always is. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's very important to know that. So you're like, Rose of Sharon, whoo. What's a Rose of Sharon? I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> that's usually what we all do, right? All right, so bride of Christ, branches of the vine, right? Just as Jesus talked about in uh, John 15, the flock of the good shepherd. We're all sheep. The kingdom of God's son, God's household, uh, God's adopted children were adopted sons and daughters of him. And then spiritual temple, right? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then also we are, uh, that Jesus is the cornerstone of that temple, and the, the bottom, the foundation, and the, the one that closes it off. He's beginning the end, the Alpha and the Omega. All right, so within the body, there's unity, and that we all, to make us the church, in Romans 8, it says that we all possess the same person who's the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to get into that a little bit more, but understand that that's what, that is what it means to be a Christian. It says in Romans 8, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, which I'll show you, Proof, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you're not his. You're not actually adopted. You're estranged from him. You're the, the children of wrath. That's what the Bible says. So you, you, can, you can be in the church by one way, through Jesus Christ. And, that, and this is important. I'll get into why that's so important because uh, this is the one thing that unifies. Everyone talks about unity in the world. So much unity. There's only one kind of biblical unity that's right and pure and holy and that's biblical unity, and that only person that can actually bring us all together is the Holy Spirit. Because we know that, because there was actual division in the Old Testament, right? There was, there was the Gentile courts, and there was the Jewish courts. Now, they could be in the family of God, but not really. There was just this division still that was happening. And the ultimate division was happening on the cross when Jesus finally rose from the, well, died the, 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 uh, that Friday, then the curtain fell, right? Or the, the, I'm sorry, the curtain uh, was uh, torn in two. And, and what happened was that barrier between us and God was taken care of. And then God said, I'm gonna take it even further and I'm gonna take away the barrier inside the church. And so that we are now one with God and one with each other. Isn't that awesome? So Galatians 3.28, if you don't believe me, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now see what the Bible does is it doesn't ignore the fact that one's Jewish, one's Greek. Doesn't ignore the fact that you're Hispanic, you're black or you're white. Doesn't ignore that. It just says, it, it, in one sense, I acknowledge that, I see that, but at the same time, we're one. That's what it's saying. It doesn't ignore the fact that there's male and female. I do not believe in equality of male and female as far as a, the roles that they play. That is not, that, the, biblically, they have different roles, obviously. He's created the male and female. But we are one as a person, meaning that the way God looks at us is one. But the way he sees us in the way God made our roles, the way it plays out, we're different. 
That's the Bible. Unfortunately, the culture doesn't understand that, right? All right, so 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for, one, for in one spirit, we are baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. And so, all right, we got find ourselves at uh, Acts 2. So at Acts 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost have come, I preached on this at Pentecost, it was May 31st of this year, happened to be Pentecost Sunday. We did it on Zoom, but this will be a lot more fun. This will be... So when the day of Pentecost had come, they were together in one place, and suddenly there came from, a, from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And so it was undeniable that the Spirit was coming. There had to be a dramatic, crazy experience that was no doubt just as crazy as the experience was, was Jesus was saying, I am the Messiah. I've come to save sinners. There's, okay, well, how are you going to prove that, Jesus? Not just death and keeping him in the grave. That wouldn't prove anything. But he had to raise from the grave. And then also he had to send just as he had promised. That was pretty dramatic. If not the resurrection, now the ascension. This guy's flying in the sky, raising from graves. I'm like, this, this, this is crazy. And now this person, Holy Spirit's coming, and he's busting through with like a rushing wind, and there's tongues of fire. I mean, it's just, it's just a wild scene. But he had to do that on purpose because we all have a problem with belief. And they needed to know that it was true, that God was birthing his church, and it's a new day. Okay, so but it has its historical context, and the reason why this is this is important that it, it finds itself historically is so that we that we don't get out of hand with this passage. Okay, I'm going to get into it a little bit. We're going to dive into every little line of this thing so that we're all clear leaving. But the reason why it's important is because they were not praying for the Holy Spirit to come. That's really key right here, okay? So they were not praying for the Holy Spirit to come, and we'll see why that is in a second, but they were waiting for him to come because it was promised. God's promises are yes and amen. They happen, whether you pray them or not. Now, we are to partner with God in that, believing, talking. How many know that talking is, is prayer? Prayer is talking, it's not necessarily, they weren't, oh, please, God, send the Holy Spirit, please send it. God's like, you know, from Leviticus 23 and from the time I was with you that I am going to send you the Holy Spirit, the promise, the first fruits of what is to come. So the 120 were gathered there to receive the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost just means, it's not a scary word, it just means 50. 50 is not scary. It's just the number, 50, right? So 50 was uh, it was actually celebrated after the Passover. So the first celebration, how many know that the Jews, they love the party? I love the party. I think we should go back to some of these parties. I mean, maybe not like, you know, in like some legalistic way, but we need to have more parties. We really do to celebrate what God has done. Right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Celebrate what God has done. Okay. Okay. They're just, all right. Just (laughs) Just making sure we understand what the party's about. Okay, so the first, the first the feast was the Passover. And how many know what the Passover is, right? That means that in the back, way back, the time of Exodus, when the Israelites were in bondage to, to Egypt, uh, and what happened was they were in bondage for years, like 400, and, and Moses was raised up as God's deliverer, and they were about to go and be delivered from the Egyptians and cross the Red Sea. But the Pharaoh did not want that to happen. He was trying to hold on to the Israelites after the, the plagues. He just didn't get the picture. And they, God was going to come with the angel of death to come and punish Egypt. And, and the firstborn son would die. And if they did not do this, this was, they had to slaughter a lamb. And they had to take the blood. And they had to put it on the door. And, and then as the, as the angel of death looked and saw the blood, he would pass over that house and he moved on to the house that did not have the blood. Now that is symbolic of the gospel, right? Propitiation just means in Romans 5, it just means that God passed over in his, what? His kindness. Not because there's anything good going on in the house. He passed over 
because of his kindness. That's the gospel. So if you're coming today, you're wondering, hey, I don't have what it takes. Good. That's a wonderful feeling because he has what it takes. And if you just put what he says on the door, you're going to be okay. And that's what the Passover is. And so the next day, which is pretty awesome, the next day they, they would celebrate the unleavened bread, the second feast. And what happened was the Jewish, they would put, the Jews would put the bread in the oven, right? And it would be symbolic of, now they didn't know this at the time, but it would be symbolic of the death and burial of Jesus in the oven. And what they would do is they would take it out of the oven and they would hold it up. This is the bread. This is life. This is life. And that's what happened, right? Jesus rose from the dead and he was, he was lifted up then into heaven. And as we eat the bread of life, not like literally, but as we, as we take in the, the bread and the, and the blood, uh, uh, the wine of Jesus, we are saved. We take it in. We take it all in. We trust him fully. And then the third feast was 50 days after that date, okay? And what that meant was it was going to be the first. So the first one, the unleavened bread, was the first fruits of those who would be saved. So, so it was symbolic saying everybody's going to come out of that oven, the only people that will stay in that oven are those who don't believe. The, the people that believe in Jesus will be taken out and resurrected on the day that Jesus will come back. It's the first fruits. It's the first, he's saying that one day there will be a great harvest of people being saved. And then, and Pentecost, he was saying that that, that, that was the, uh, the, the feast of the first fruits and it was the feast of weeks. And so what happened was that was gonna be the first fruits of the of what was going to become the, the, the promise of security in salvation. And what that means is, and in, in, uh, you can mark this down, I'm not going to read it, but Leviticus 23, okay? So in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, it says, now he who prepared us for this very purpose gave us the spirit as a pledge. Just means down payment. Why was that so significant? Because God is so, um, like, if you just sit back and, and realize how wise God is, how amazing he is, you're looking at this plan. You're like, I, no one could think about this stuff. It's amazing. You're like, the Old Testament's kind of boring. It is alone. But now when the New Testament comes in, it's the hermeneutic for the old. And the old is the hermeneutic for the, for the new. It's, it's a way to understand. It, 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 the Bible interprets Bible, is what I'm saying. You, you, that's how you learn. And, and what he's saying is that these people needed to know there was, it was such an uncertain time that they needed to understand that there, this promise, this Holy Spirit would never leave you nor forsake you. And you would know it. You will know. That's why when a believer walks around saying, I don't know if I'm saved, I don't know, and they do that all the time, there's something wrong. Either they don't, either they're really not saved or they don't understand fully what the scriptures are and the security of what God gave us. He gave us a down payment. When I go to the bank and give a down payment on my house, which is 20%, right? When I give a down payment, what I'm saying is I'm good on the 80. What God is saying is that when he gives us the Holy Spirit, he's saying I'm good from salvation to making you look like Jesus, sanctification, and all the way to heaven, glorification. I'm good on the promise. Isn't that awesome? It's confidence. Where do you get that? The word. You don't get that from a goosebump. You get it from the word. And it is key to get in the word because it gives you an incredible confidence that nothing else will. It is amazing. Incredible. All right. I, we're not, I, I don't know what we're going to do here. But I just, I, somebody just has to go like this. Just keep it going. So thank you. This is my accountability right here. All right. So Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also have to li- listening to the message of truth, the gospel of, of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given again as a down payment, a pledge of our inheritance. What's our inheritance? Relationship with God and eternity with him forever. With a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit came as the first fruits, uh, as a future inheritance, meaning that I'm coming to give you an inheritance, and also I'm coming, it would be also a, a promise of the harvest to come. So when the Holy Spirit came on them in that room saying, all right, here, I'm, I promised you that you'd have salvation. I promised you that you'd look like me. I promised that you would be empowered, but I'm also promising when you get out these doors, there is going to be a great harvest. 
there's gonna be a great harvest. And when you get out these doors, you have to believe and trust God that the Holy Spirit living in you will empower you for mission. And there will be a great harvest in Oviedo, great harvest in Orlando and the nations. When we left to Japan from San Francisco, we knew, we said, look, God, we know your promise. We know that your word is true and it will not return void. There will be a church planted and there was. And, and it multiplied. Why? Because God's word is true. So when we send people to the Middle East, when we send people all over the world, his word is true in all 200 countries and thousands of people groups. It is true. It's powerful. So verse two, it came in like, like is the key word. Do you understand? These were such dramatic experiences that the writers had only one choice to, to write as a simile. Because they were like, I, I don't even know how to describe this thing. This is crazy. Now, it wasn't chaotic in a sense that it was disorderly because the God is a God of order. But it, what it was saying is it was such a dramatic, so powerful that people were overjoyed. People were just totally rocked by the Lord that they just didn't know how to describe it. So the way they described it was in verse two, it says, suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. All right. So they, they, in Revelation 115, it says his feet were like bronze. How many know Jesus' feet are actually not bronze? They're flesh, they have bones and toes. So, but they were like that. And, and he was saying, I'm not going to go into all Revelation. We did that earlier. But when, uh, in the spring, but when, uh, it also it says his voice was like a sound. It says here, it was like the sound of many waters. When God speaks, it's not just, it's not Buddha, okay? It's not, it's not like, you know, you go in your little Zen room with your fork and draw on the sand with the, like, the, the water going on in the background. That's not God. That's Satan, okay? That, that is not God, period. God, but God, it's so powerful. Have you ever gone to like Niagara Falls? That thing will blow you over. So will God's word. It, it, they didn't understand. It's just, the, how do I describe this? I, I, I blow over. Yeah, they could have wrote that. But they just wrote it this way. And because there was just, it was so dramatic, so powerful. Okay. So also the, the Holy Spirit is, a, is, is, is described as wind or as breath. Um, but it says in John 3, 8, so that the rushing wind, again, it's a simile I don't necessarily know if there was literally a wind. I mean, this, it's windy everywhere. And next time you feel the wind, you can be reminded that it's the Holy Spirit. But you're not that when the wind comes, you're like, woo, Holy Spirit. That's, by the way, I'll just say, not what that passage means. Uh, and it, it has a, a biblical base. And so John 3, 8 says, the wind blows where it wishes. And hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So everyone who is born of the Spirit, what is he saying? Holy Spirit's in control. You cannot control the wind. Try it. You might have a little fan, but once the, you can't control a hurricane coming. You cannot control a tornado. When the Holy Spirit wants to save someone, he'll do it. When he wants to move in someone's life, he'll do it. And that's what the point of John 3 is, that you have zero control over the spirit. You can plead, you can kick, you can cry, you can whine, you can yell, you can do whatever you want. But the reality is God is sovereign and the spirit will go wherever he wishes. Isn't that good? It's awesome. That's what it is. And they were sitting. Normally in the Bible, if they were standing or they were kneeling, that symbolizes prayer. And I'm, again, they, you sit and pray. I'm not trying to say you can't sit and pray. I'm not saying that. Just saying, for the sake of it, they were not praying and pleading, trying to get the Holy Spirit to come on them. They just, they were what? In verse two. Suddenly, they were surprised. They just were like, all right, it's game time. 10 days are over. It's time to go to work. They had everything they needed. They had the word of God. Now they have the power of the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. And then tongues of fire 
Contrary to many, what many people think, they were not literal tongues because it says here, a fire, that, and there appeared to them tongues as, keyword, of fire, distributing themselves as they rested on each of them had a purpose. It, was, uh, it wasn't just fire coming on them so they, they could all, you know, can you imagine the Instagram selfies? Hey, your, your flame's a little bigger than mine right there. I mean, just it's weird. Uh, but the reality is it was just, it was, it was to explain uh, something. It was to illustrate something. And this is what it was illustrating. The fact that, uh, again, another example of this in Luke 3, uh, 3.22, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. Right. It was confirming Jesus uh, in his ministry. It was confirming that he was the son of God and what he was about to do. The dove was peaceful. It was symbolic of peace. It was resting upon someone who was restful. And he came on the body of Jesus as confirmation. The Holy Spirit's not a bird. I think we all know that. Um, and the Holy Spirit's not literally a fire. It's just, it, it's the, the New Testament, they're trying to describe what was happening here. And they were about to preach, keyword, preach the word of God, tongues of fire. They're about to preach the word of God miraculously to people that did not know their language. And it was about to happen in this next verse. But let, one more point. Matthew 3, 11 to 12, it says, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork, this is the key phrase, that his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear the threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This passage was talking about judgment, and the passage was talking about the fire of the gospel that would come forth from the person's mouth would either bring salvation or judgment. That's exactly what it means. It's very simple, right? It's not some crazy thing. Although it's supernatural at the same time. All right. They were all filled. This is key. In verse four, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with tongues as the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance. So the first point here, this is really key. This is very important. It's probably one of the most important things I'm gonna say today, okay? So they were one body. That is, that is key. All of them were being filled, not some. Let that sink in for a second. I'm not sure what background you came from, whether it's a reform background or charismatic background or mainline, typical landscape, you know, evangelical churches. But every person that was saved was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And why do I know that? Romans 6, 4 to 6 says, we have been buried with him, Jesus, through baptism into death so that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so that we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. When we were baptized, we were baptized in the spirit, but even, but it was symbolic of, like the water was symbolic of our old life. We were going, we were dying with Jesus just as he substituted our death. We should have gone to the cross. We're dying with him on the cross. And we're, when we get out of the waters of baptism, we're saved. We're baptized into a what? Family. Family. We're all one. And it says here in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, by one spirit, we are all baptized in one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We're all made to drink of one spirit. Galatians 2, 26, 28, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Man, there is neither male nor female. You're all in one. What he's saying is that there is no passage here that says to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's to seek Jesus. And when we seek Jesus and we give our life to him, when we trust him and put our faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins, we are then baptized in the Holy Spirit. We are given the Holy Spirit as a gift. And it goes to every believer. If somebody in that room did not receive the Holy Spirit, they had a big problem. Why? Because that guy wasn't saved. 
they all received the baptism of the Spirit. Why is that important? There's no backdoor Christianity. There's no secret room. There's no, there's no like, there's no place where, okay, I have this, I have this knowledge, I have this experience, but you don't. That's Gnosticism. It's a heresy. It says that you are elevating yourself above somebody else and withholding the good stuff to all people. That's sin. That is sin. That's not right. But, however, before you tackle me, okay, we're just going <laughs> to. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is a single, sovereign, unrepeatable act of the Holy Spirit that is given to a believer just as much as justification, adoption, and all the other is, is not to be repeated. I don't get justified every day. Justified once. Baptized once. But I'm getting sanctified every day. How do you get sanctified? I'm glad you asked. Because the second part of it is being filled with the Spirit. You have to see here that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, meaning that they finally received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a, in, as a sign that said, all right, this is, the, this is the fulfillment of Leviticus 23. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus was talking about. You have it now, but I'm telling you, it is what is continuing is being filled with the Spirit. Peter was filled with the Spirit over and over and over again. In 4, 8, 4, 30, 4, uh, 31, Stephen was continually filled with the Spirit as he preached the gospel. We as believers got to be filled with the Spirit every single day, every minute. And that is a continuously uh, thing that happens every single day of our lives. It is very important to know that in Ephesians 5.18. Look at it yourself. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you are, you'll have fruit on your life. And we'll go into each three major passages, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll begin to close. Begin is the key word. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm trying to be honest, a little bit more honest with these things. Um, <laughs> all right, we need to do this daily. How does that happen? We need to empty ourselves, not empty our mind. That's another religion, but empty ourselves of what? Our selfishness. Empty ourselves of the, the sin, the sin patterns, the habitual sins, the confessing our sin, the self will, the, the false ambitions, all those things. We can't, they cannot compete. Light and darkness cannot go together. You cannot, the, the Holy Spirit will not compete with that. He will not just miraculously override it. We have got to consciously say, God, fill me with the Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me again. And you may be wondering, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Other than what you just said, it's partnering with Him, it's surrendering with Him. But what is it? How do you actually do that? How do you have, I'll, I'll answer that in two ways. The fruit of letting the Word of Christ dwell richly in you. Okay? And Colossians 3, 16 to 25, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The reason why we pray for each other all the time, we want to spur each other on good deeds when we're, when we're doing worship together. Uh, during that time, you might see that happening, the movement around the room. I'm hoping that it's grounded in the word. I hope that what you're giving somebody is actually grounded in the word because that's what it says. It'd be, it'd be kind of funny if somebody actually takes it a step further and actually sings somebody in their ear while the song's going. <laughs> what? I, I, I can't. <laughs> la, 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 la. Yeah. You want to do that? Isaac's going to be the first one to do that. So he'll sing the word to you. But whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Why? And then he goes through and he begins to specifically say to each person in the body what, what it means to have the word of God. When the word of God dwells richly in you, these, this is the fruit of it. Wives, be subject to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Got that, Caleb? For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. I got that, okay? So that they will not lose heart. Slaves, and, and you can you can talk, uh, you can uh, insert, so I think it's very biblically correct to do that, but you talk, uh, this, slaves, uh, we don't have those today. I, I mean, in that sense of the term, as far as employment goes, but we have employee, employees, employers. So employee, employees, everybody in the house, right? And all things obey those bosses on the earth with ex- 
not with an external service as those merely wanting to please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do work heartily as for the Lord rather than man. It's not about your boss, although honor him. Because as you honor him, you're pleasing the Lord. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of wrong, which he has done and without partiality. God doesn't play favorites. He's fair with everybody. He doesn't cut somebody slack because they're better in the Lord. We serve a very impartial God. He's, he's fair. He's good. All right, number two is that when, okay, so look at this. Colossians 3 is talking about being filled with the word. Ephesians 5.19, which just heard 5.18, be filled with the spirit. 5.19.33 is talking about what, it, what the fruit is of being filled with the spirit. And what we're gonna do at the end of this, we're gonna make a connection that what it means to be filled with the spirit is to have the word richly dwell within you. It's not a mystery. It's not some mystical mystery. It's the word of God. Satan hates this message because really people are going to actually have some fruit here because you're not looking for a mystical experience. The word is here and as it dwells richly in you, watch, watch these two. They are the exact same fruits and therefore Paul is saying they're the same. And says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing. I'm going to read this just for the sake of reading it. And singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you're filled with the Spirit, you make melodies to the Lord. Not just Ricky. Everybody does. They may not sound, I guarantee they don't sound like Ricky. But but it still pleases the Lord. That's what's wonderful (laughs) about it. Even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For your husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. For he himself being the Savior of the, of the body. But as to the church, be subject to Christ. So also wives ought to be there to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water, with the word that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory with having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and two shall become one flesh. You ready for that guys over here? Yeah, Austin and Natalie, here we go this week. You guys still want to be married, right? I'm sh- okay, just checking. All right. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And then in chapter six, it talks about the family dynamic as fathers and kids, just as I had read in Colossians. Isn't that amazing? What is Paul saying so clear? That to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Word of God, who is the author of the Word, by the way, the Spirit. He writes Scripture. So good. All right. And then also to be filled with the Spirit. And for homework, read Romans 8. It's a wonderful passage. It just talks about just how to actually deny the flesh and actually give yourself to the Spirit. And when you do that, you bear much fruit. When you sow to the Spirit, you what? Reap of the Spirit and its fruit. When you sow to the flesh, you reap death. That's not fun. All right. So we yield moment by moment decisions to his control. It's a conscious decision to pause and say, all right, I'm about to go into a meeting. Lord, let it be you. I'm about to go into work. Let it be you. I'm about to uh, go into discipleship. Let it be you. I'm going to walk and let my language be filtered through the Holy Spirit so that I might speak his words, not my own. That is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16, 26, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you'll not carry the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other so that you may do not do the things that you please. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, this is really hard for me because I really, literally want to expound on every line here, and I'm trying to, my best, with the clock in mind, not do that. So immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and these alike. No one likes those things. Right? No. You're like, not answering, because I don't know. <laughs> of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarn you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God or, a.k.a. heaven. As known as heaven. Does that make sense? Now you're thinking, wait a second, but I had a jealous thought the other day. You're right. You're not going to heaven. I'm just kidding. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Just, just checking if you're awake. Just checking if you're awake. Okay? Key word here. Why don't you circle this? Key word here. Circle this. Okay? Okay? Practice. Practice. Unbroken pattern of sin is dangerous. Unbroken pattern of sin is what gives you the free ticket to hell. It is unbroken. When Jesus comes into your life and breaks it with the power of the gospel, you begin to practice righteousness. And there are times where you will dabble with sin again. We all do. But what happens is we have a propensity now to please him as slaves to righteousness, not slaves to sin. That's the gospel. It's good stuff. Glad you came to church this morning because this is truth. All right, and not in the habit of some. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Get to know those, especially when you have kids, you'll be reminding them of the fruit all the time. And then God reminds me of the fruit all the time. It's amazing how that works. <laughs> Don't you have patience? And then God's like, don't you have patience? <laughs> you just, it's almost like he just mocks what I say. He repeats it. <laughs> it's funny how that happens. But now those who belong to Jesus, Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Literally, that's what happens at baptism. Why is it important that we don't seek the baptism? Because we're not seeking salvation every day. What we're saying is, is that we remind ourselves what happened. We say, it, it, I'm no longer like that. If I have jealousy, why do I have jealousy? I'm not like that. I have everything I, I need in Christ Jesus. I have everything I need. I am a new creation. I have a gift that's different from that gift. And that's important. Why? Because we are gonna, we're going to get eaten up alive by the devil, which many do, right? We all have been there with lies. We've got to have the truth. We got to actually say, no, no, I'm no longer like that anymore. If I live, if we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. Let's remind each other. You're a man of the spirit. You're a woman of the spirit. You're no longer like that anymore. I understand jealousy is real. I understand lust is real. I understand these things are real, but that's not you. You're not like that anymore. And that fuels faith in dependence on the Holy Spirit to do the very thing, the opposite thing, and to do the very thing he's called us to do. Let us not become boastful because, hey, why? It's not our strength. You know, the moment you're like, finally, I conquered sin. Next day, there's another thing that he brings up. <laughs> it's foolish to boast. It's no point of that. Challenging one another and not, not envying each other. All right. So, is that clear, guys? We don't seek the baptism. We already got it. Okay. After being filled with the Spirit, he began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave him utterance. All right. I am going to do the quickest crash course in this, and we'll pick it up some other time, or I'll, you know, we can, you can ask me questions or whatever. But understand that these were known languages. Glossia. It's the Greek word for it. 
These are known languages. It's key. Why, do we, why is that important? Because as they, as they came out of their house, they were literally speaking to people in all these different ways. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And so I'm not going to go through all of them, but there were Parthians. That was modern Iran. There was the Medes in the Persian time, at the time of Daniel, if you remember the, that story, the Elamites, southwestern Iran, Mesopotamians was between the, the Tigris and the Euphrates River uh, when they were taken off to Babylon, from Babylon and Assyria. Judea, which includes Syria, Cappadocia, Pontus, Virgilia, Pamphylia. Those are the uh, regions of Asia Minor. And then Egypt. Uh, there was a huge Jewish population there uh, that had the Septuagint, which was the uh, Greek, New, Greek Old Testament. And so these guys were coming. They were Jews. These are all Jewish people living in these different lands for the purpose of Pentecost to celebrate this feast. The districts of Libya, which we know, Northern Africa, Jews from Rome, Cretans, Arabs, uh, mainly from Damascus. And so all these people were coming, the nations were coming, they needed to what? Hear in their own language, not gibberish, in their own language, the gospel. There was no translator there. It was just straight, unfiltered. And so Acts, uh, and, and the reason why, and, and I'll give you just, if you write, write them down in your notes, the reason why the purpose of speaking in languages was a, primarily first was a sign to unbelieving Israel. What that meant was in 1 Corinthians 14, 21 to 22, it was assigned to them, meaning that when Babylon took them over a long time ago, when Egypt took them over, God's people, Israel, were his chosen ones, his sons and daughters, his people. And when they disobeyed, God said, I'm warning you, you're going to have foreign lands come and they're going to speak other languages. And so they came in as a sign to Israel's unbelief during the times of Babylon, Assyria, they came in and invaded and they were like, oh, God was, he was right. These people, I don't understand them, and they're taking us away from our homeland that he promised. And so as these people were beginning to speak in other languages, it was a sign to these people, oh my goodness, it's here. And some thought, well, like, these guys are drunk. They're off the rocker. And he's like, no, 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 no. Actually, if they were drunk, they wouldn't be able to speak a language that you do not know, but they know. That's not what drunkenness does, by the way. If you... Don't know, don't try it, but, um, but you don't, you're not coherent. And this is total coherency. So they, uh, and then the second sign was that they were equal. God was in the business of unifying his church that were separated racially. So he was bringing everyone together, everyone together just as like if, if I want to bring unity to the family when my kids are young, when they're young, if I give something to Caleb, Eli's me like, why didn't you give, what, what, what about me? So I'm going to give them the same experience when they're young so that they can get the same experience. Why? Because it proves that I love them both equally and they're unified. That's exactly what God did. He did that with the Samaritans in Acts 8, 14 to 19. We'll read that later. Acts 10, 44 to 47, he joined together the, the, the Gentiles. So when the gospel was preached, the Samaritans received the spirit. When the gospel was preached, the Gentiles received the spirit. And the Jews were up in arms. We're like, whoa, what's going on here? Those guys, they need to obey the law of Moses and all this stuff. I'm like, no, 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 no. These guys had the same experience because they also spoke in tongues, known languages to the people around them. It was like, oh, dad gave us the same gift. We're together, we're one. And then in Acts 19, John the Baptist's disciples, Paul ran into him, just running around, and he just found him. He's like, what are you guys doing? You baptism of John. Okay, well, you know the baptism of Jesus. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, boom, they became believers. They spoke in tongues. Oh, you're a part of the family. Awesome. And it was one big church unified with the same experience. Am I saying that this doesn't exist today? It is highly unlikely that we need it today because we have people that know languages. Now we know the languages today. We study the languages. We go overseas. People were actually, during the times from AD 70, the destruction of Jerusalem, to the church now as we know it uh, about 2,000 years later, we have, we have people all over the world, all over Jesus Film. We have people working for Jesus Film. They are reaching people in their known languages there were people back in the early 1900s that thought, oh, I think this gift still 
is for today. I'm not going to, de- I, I, look, if it works, if it's like an actual language, key point, if it's an actual language that you're speaking to someone in, for, in a foreign land and it works, praise the Lord. Because God can speak through a donkey. But I'm not going to deny that. But what happens is, is that these people in the 1900s, they've discovered that, look, this is for today again, and, and we're, we're, we're going to do this. So they just, in their ignorance, sent people overseas, and they just said, just start speaking, just start speaking like they did. And they spoke like just gibberish. They didn't understand them when they went to India, Japan, China, and these places, and they were thrown out because people were like, I, the Chinese were I don't, I don't understand you. But they thought they were speaking Chinese, but they weren't. They assumed and presumed upon God. But there was a, the point was is that God, uh, uh, it was the inaugural birth of the church and it needed to be dramatic. It needed to be known that we can look back 2,000 years and say, wow, God is so good. He's unifying everybody in this church as one. Because he says this in Hebrews 2, 3 to 4, it says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we will do not drift away from it. This is key. For if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard God also testifying with them both signs and wonders as it was in Acts 2 and wonders by various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And began, he, they began to do that to confirm the work of the gospel and say it is true, it is real, is anything that you know. And it gives us great confidence in his word. Which then when we read it and we get filled with it, we're filled with the spirit, we bear much fruit. We have power on our lives. All right. Let's pray as we worship. And I'm sorry I went a little bit over today, but I did have so much more to say about the gifts of the spirit and the work of tongues. We'll get into it all. So just save your questions, put them away. Let's get built up in the spirit. Let's get built up in the word of God. There's time. Look, as we say often, if you're in it for the long haul, we'll be, we'll, we'll, we're here. We're here. We're here to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. We want to equip you to know who God is, to walk with him, to obey him, to be empowered by him, to serve him for the rest of your life until he comes back. All right? Sound good? All right. It's awesome. Praise Jesus. Let's worship. We have so much to worship him, right? So much. I mean, just if, at the very least, Thank you, Jesus, for the written word. Thank you, Lord, that it's not a mystery anymore. As it was to the Old Testament saints, it's not a mystery. It's very clear today. It has been known to us. And we can make it known to everyone else around us for the salvation of all mankind. Till the Lord comes back, we're believing for that. And again, I, I believe it is important. And again, don't it's not an emotional thing, but if there's someone here who, who doesn't know Jesus and wants to give their life fully to him, you know, many times we think we know the Lord because we grew up in a family that, that talked about him and, and maybe we, we've done our fair share of reading the Bible. Reading the Bible doesn't save you. Faith does. Faith, like trusting. I believe this. I wasn't once, I, I know my parents believed it or I, other people believe it. I wish I believed it, but you know, I just kind of go into the motion because I'm not sure where I'm at with that. But if today, for some reason, if, you, if, if the Holy Spirit now is beginning to open up your heart and saying, wow, I, I actually believe this. Like when, he, when, when you were talking, like faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. I, I, I understand it now. Like I get it. Like I want salvation. I don't want the fake thing. I don't want the, I want the real thing. I want Jesus. I believe that he came 2,000 years ago. I believe that he suffered and died as an innocent man, as God. And he hung on the cross and a substitution for my sin. And that when, when he went into the grave, he actually stayed there and remained there for a, for a few days. And then he resurrected from the grave and came out of that grave. And he ascended into heaven. And he sent his Holy Spirit to, to those who would one day, what? Believe. John wrote, and he said 98 times in the Gospel of John, believe. I wrote you this. I wrote you this book to believe. Luke wrote to the Theophilus, this book, Acts, and Luke, he wrote so that he might, what? Believe. Believe is a gift. It's a gift. And if you believe this morning, if you're like, man, I, I, I believe this message. It's just, oh, I just want to jump out of my seat. It's so good. I believe this message without any shame and without any embarrassment. As Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, the gospel of God is, is, is not shameful. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, right? Romans 1.16. But he also said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you before my father in heaven. 
this is between you and the Lord, but it also don't, don't misunderstand. I don't know maybe if someone told you that, but it is a public thing, actually. It's public. It's public. And baptism is public. And profession of faith is public. In some countries, in some places, you could die for it. Here you might get maybe a little uncomfortable thought. But at the end of the day, it's, it's trusting and it's trusting him. Yes, yes, I want salvation. If that's you, I would love for you to come up here. And we're going to have some people just pray for you right here. I'll have some leaders to pray for you while we begin to worship. But if you just are like, man, I trust Jesus. I believe him and I want to go to heaven with it. I want to learn this new life. I want to get into the word and I want to believe. I, I've read the word so many times that I've just not, I, I, I didn't understand it. I just kind of went through, but I want life. I want to, I want to believe this thing. I want to trust you, God. And I just, I, I just want to say, hey, if that's you, you're like, I want to believe. I want to trust you. And today is the day of salvation. Please come up. This is your family. And we would love for, to pray for you. Just, give you that moment if that's you and if someone comes up please have some leaders come up and pray for them and just if they need a bible or if they need some help or prayer just invite them in but for the rest of us i really do believe that today is the day that we go deeper with the lord that we don't give we don't give into shallow christianity that's not what we're interested that will not produce life in our life it won't and i believe that some of us here we have just gone through the motions of it and and we we need an, we need a re-up and it's not our own strength we can't just, it's not a rah-rah it's not an emotional i got i got to do this it's a it's a submitting to him saying god would you take a hold of my life would you take a hold of my life and these sin patterns they're unbroken but man i'm still struggling with them i want breakthrough and freedom would you give me a hunger for your word every day would you fill me with the holy spirit so father we thank you for who you are we thank you that you're the god of, of salvation We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to be doing in this church in the years to come. We thank you that you're committed to us. It says in Philippians 1, 6, you are committed to us all the way to the end, that you're committed to, to help us to go from glory to glory, glory to glory, as we what, church? Behold Jesus and his word. That's how we do that. And so, Father, I pray that you give us a great hunger and that we would worship you that all these truths provoke us to worship. It says in Psalm 63, we raise up holy hands. It says in Luke 24, we raise up holy hands. Why? Because that is our act of worship. It's not a legalistic thing. It's just like, I, you're, just, you're wanting to say, God, you're worthy. Thank you for this word. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for my friendships. As Ricky was saying, so much to be thankful for. That is our act of worship. We're, we're giving him praises, thanksgiving, praises, sacrifices of praise whether we feel like it or not, because he is worthy. So let's, church, let's just stand up. If you want to sit, that's great, and spend time with the Lord. But for the rest of us who just want to stand and worship, we're going to worship.